I invite you to find Luke chapter 7 in your Bible. Luke 7. Our Lord Jesus encountered um, four individuals at this point in his ministry. There are four encounters in Luke 7 where we see Jesus interacting with people um, having various needs. Last Sunday, we noticed the first 10 verses describe Jesus' encounter with the outsider, uh, this Roman Gentile who had a servant that was ill. And we talked about what it means to be an outsider and encounter Jesus and uh, made some practical application in the direction of, okay, how should we, who should we be to the outsider? Jesus is going to encounter um, also someone with questions about him, questions bordering on doubt related to Jesus' uh, person. And that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. So... Um, just keep this in mind regarding next Sunday. If, if you find yourself having questions about Jesus, um, is he really who the Bible presents him to be? Is he really who he says he is? Or if you know someone who is questioning, who is this Jesus? Is he actually who everyone has been telling me he is? Is he who the church says he is? That's where we're headed next week. So um, invite Invite people that you know have questions. See if they'll be able to, to give the gospel a fair hearing. And especially to be willing to enter into the conversation, who is Jesus to the one who has questions about him? That's where we're headed next Sunday. Sunday after that, he's going to encounter someone um, who's full of sins. And that's something that we can all identify with, isn't it? Today, we're going to see Jesus encounter the one who is grieving. He is going to encounter a woman who's grieving a very significant loss. And the question we're seeking to answer today is, who is Jesus to the grieving? And it's likely that some who are listening, either in this room or online, are are right now uh, grieving a significant loss. And maybe you have been for a long time. Um, If you're not grieving a significant loss, you probably know someone who is. And so this is um, it could be a tough conversation for some. It's actually going to be tough for me. So I need your prayers. Okay, you can't encounter a scene like the one we're going to encounter with a steel heart. Jesus comes upon a funeral procession. And who is he going to be to the one who is grieving? After we read the text, I'm going to say a couple things about grief um, in general by way of introduction, and then we'll get into what the text says about who Jesus is to the one who is grieving, okay? This is verses 11 through 17 of Luke 7. So we're beginning in verse 11 of Luke chapter 7. All right, if you're able to stand, um, I invite you to do that in honor of God and his word. 
Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterward, he, that's Jesus, he went to a town called Nain. By the way, some of you know that I got to go to Israel this past spring. We went right by Nain. What a feeling it was to be there. Well, Jesus soon after went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people, and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Father, I'm so glad this is here. We are so glad this is here. I pray that by the Holy Spirit we could enter in to what we just observed in a way that will be helpful and hopeful, especially to those who are grieving. That in, in one of the, the toughest, most sensitive things that we can encounter in this life, there would be hope. We thank you that there is, and show us now how that's true and in whom it's true. For we ask in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Please be seated. I said I want to say two things about loss and grief at the outset before we get into the text. Here's the first one, just generally speaking about loss and grief. The first thing that I want to say and affirm to you is that grief is real and normal and godly. Grief is not in conflict with your faith in Christ. Grief is a part of the normal human experience. And we can even say that grief is Godly, because we can look into the life of God and see that grief at times has been present. We can especially see that in the life of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, walking on earth, observing a scene of death, especially in John 11, and entering into the grief of the moment where he grieves the presence of death on the planet and grieves the loss of his beloved friend, Lazarus. 
You know, grief is also apparently part of the life of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. What can that, what can that mean except that grief can be part of the life of God the third person? Grief is even a commanded thing in the scriptures. Did you know that? James 4, James exhorts the church to grieve and mourn and weep. One thing that we want to be sure and emphasize when we come to this text in Luke 7 and observe this scene with the widow, we want to make sure that we emphasize that when Jesus tells the weeping grieving woman, when he goes up to her and says, do not weep, he doesn't imply that her weeping is wrong. He doesn't give the command to correct her for something she's doing wrong. He gives the command to prepare her for what he's about to do. Her weeping was right and normal and godly. If you're grieving, if you have had a very significant loss, I want to affirm that to you from the scriptures, that your grieving is real and normal and godly and that there is no timetable for how long you should grieve. Who can measure the depth of a loss? Much less can we measure and establish timetables for mourning a loss. That's the first thing that I want to say, is that grief is real and normal and godly. Second thing that I want to say is that we're not after easy answers today. We're not opening up the Bible today and talking about grief to find three easy steps uh, to feel better. It's not why we open the Bible. We don't open the Bible to find steps. We open the Bible to see God. There's nothing easy about this. And to look for easy answers doesn't do justice to the depth of your feeling when you're grieving. We're not opening up the Bible to find three easy steps to feel better. We're opening up the Bible to see who God is. And that's what we're going to do for a few minutes today. We're going to observe God in the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to observe who he is to the one who is grieving. And then after that, we're going to ask a very important and a very personal question about what we see, okay? And if you're grieving or if you have grieved or know someone who's grieving, uh, my hope is that what we see here in God will minister to you and reach a place inside of you that no human words can reach, only God can reach, all right? Let's observe this very delicate scene um, and ask the question, who is Jesus to the one who is grieving here? It's the attributes we see in him in this scene are not difficult to discern. They're really easy. They stand out. What two things are on display in Jesus here to the one who's grieving? Well, first of all, he's the compassionate one. That's verse 13. We're told that explicitly. He is the compassionate one toward 
she who is grieving. He saw her. We see that in verse 13. God in the flesh saw her. Noticed. He saw her distress and was moved by her distress. We read, he had compassion on her. Now, in just a moment, we're going to notice that Jesus is also the powerful one. Okay, so giving that away in advance, that's the second attribute. We're going to notice that he's the powerful one. That's really the main thing here, and that's where all the focus is going to get placed, but it's important to make the observation that Jesus in this scene isn't simply the powerful one. He, he doesn't show up and do the miracle without first entering into the pain. He doesn't show up and do the miracle without first entering into the pain. Now, that might not mean much to you. But believe me that that means the world to people who are grieving a significant loss. That he entered into the feeling and the pain of the scene. That God feels compassion for the one grieving. He feels, he sees, and he speaks to her. And when you've experienced a significant loss, one of the, one of the things that can compound the feeling of, of suffering and pain when you experience a significant loss is the feeling that no one else really knows what I'm going through. No one understands. They may say things and they may hang around for a while, but in the end, their life goes on and it's just me. And does anyone really understand? Does anyone know the depth of my suffering? Does God even care? Well, let's notice here that Jesus had limited time on earth. He had limited time on earth. He was in demand. He was busy. He was famous. He's the one who has the huge crowd following, from, following him from place to place to place. Everyone knows his name. We still don't know this woman's name. She's forever known as just the widow from Nain. But Jesus, the one who's in demand, the one who's busy, the one that can do anything, the one who has more important things to do, he stops and he notices her. And I don't think there's much better picture of who God is anywhere else in the scriptures than what we see right here. This is Psalm 138 in the flesh. Psalm 138, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. So to the grieving, Jesus is first of all the compassionate one, caring and loving and kind. Now, as we said, he's also the powerful one. That's verse 14. Jesus is compassionate toward the grieving woman, but he's not the only compassionate one. She 
has a considerable crowd walking with her. There are lots of compassionate people around this woman. Jesus is only one of the ones who is feeling compassionate toward her. There's a considerable crowd around her, according to verse 12. They are compassionate also. But all of those people were powerless to do anything for this woman. All they could do is be with her. They could walk with her. They could give her words of consolation. They can mourn with her. Everyone present and everyone on the planet is powerless to change the situation except for one person. One person in all of human history. There's exactly one person who is not powerless to change the situation. And he happens to be passing by at this moment. He wants to help her, and he can, and he does. He simply spoke to the deceased young man and commanded him to arise. And the young man does arise, and he sits up, and he speaks. And Jesus gives him back to his mother. Jesus brings the dead back to life. He reverses what happened. The young man is not dead anymore. And it's because Jesus touched the beer and spoke to the young man. He didn't touch his body. He didn't manipulate the flesh. He didn't compress the chest. He didn't do anything to the body. He didn't breathe into the lungs. He did not perform surgery. He didn't do anything physical. He spoke. He spoke. And by the power of his word, he raised the dead. So to this grieving woman, Jesus was the compassionate one and the powerful one. Another way to articulate this is to say that God is both all-loving and all-powerful. God both cares deeply for people and has the power to reverse the tragedy. God is a God of limitless love and limitless power. And both of those things are on display in this passage. That's who he is to us. Both a God of limitless love and limitless power. And what we want to do at just this moment, as we have articulated just those things about God, is realize that what I just said is both a comfort and a conundrum. Because we really, really want God to be the all-powerful and all-loving one. We, we want those attributes in him. We want him to be all-loving and all-powerful. That's good. We want that. That's on display here. But here's the problem. When we experience loss, we may begin to ask the question, well, if God could do that, that one time for her, 
If that's how he feels and that's what he can do, why didn't he do that for me? If Jesus cares so deeply and is so compassionate and he's not powerless, if he can change the situation, if he can resurrect the dead and he can turn my tears to joy in an instant, then why did he not do it for me? And we may formulate our question like this, and this is the important and personal question that I I referenced at the very beginning that I said that we'd get to. If God really is all-loving and all-powerful, why doesn't he act on my behalf? Maybe he's not really loving. Maybe he's not really all-powerful. Or maybe he's not there at all. Because my son or my daughter died. And where was God when that happened? All I hear from him is silence. And all I have is this great question, why? See, it's both a comfort and a conundrum. That's who we want God to be, and that's who the Bible presents God as in Luke 7. But if that's who he is, then why did this happen to me? I can't answer the why question for you. Only God can answer the why question. What I can do is look at God with you. I can't answer the question why, but what I can do is open the Bible with you and say, let's look at who the Bible presents God to be. Let's look at God together and see who he has shown himself to be. I can't promise that that's going to be enough for you today or even helpful for you today if you are grieving. There's, a, there's an intensity of grieving and the grieving can be so new and so intense that we can't take anything in, even truth. Like you're just not ready. There's a time for looking into theology and looking into God and his ways, and that time is different for everyone. And it may come sooner or later for you. And my hope is that looking at God today will be helpful someday, if not today, and perhaps be enough for you someday, even if it's not enough for you today. We're going to look at God and see who God is, okay? I can't help you with the why question, but let's think about who God has revealed himself to be, especially in this area of grieving a loss. Let's start here. I want to say something personal to you. 
If I could make God anything, if it were up to me who God is, and I could make him anything that I want, I would make him a God who gives children back to their parents. I decided this week that as sinful as I am and as greedy as I am and as prideful as I am and as fallen as I am, I decided I think that there is enough residual image of God in me somewhere down there below the surface. There, I think, is enough of the residual image of God in me that if I had the choice to make God anything, I would say, above all, God, I would want you to be a God who gives children back to their parents. The saddest moment I have ever had in in my life is standing next to my friend as we were both standing next to the casket of his 10-year-old son. And in that moment, I'm pretty sure I would have given anything for Jesus to be to him who Jesus was to this woman in Luke 7 and to his wife. Molly and I haven't lost any children, but I've observed enough secondhand grief to come to the point of saying, God, if you could be anything, rather than be a genie of some kind that can give me anything that I want and do whatever I want you to do on demand to fulfill all of my desires, God, I would rather you be a God who gives children back to their parents after they've died. The suffering is so intense. I imagine. And I've had other friends who have lost children and family members, and so have you, and even some of you have had that happen. And I said a few moments ago that I can't answer the why question, but I can look with you at who God is and what we can look at together and notice together as we look toward God is that what I wish what I just said I would wish for is exactly who God is. He is a God who gives children back to their parents. The whole Bible shows us that this is who God is specifically. The Bible does not present God as loving and powerful in the abstract. The Bible presents God as loving and powerful in a very specific way. He's a God who brings parents and children back together because of his love and by his power. He's the one who reunites children with their parents. Isaac is given back to Abraham from the figurative dead. 
Joseph, who his father thought was gone forever, is given back to Jacob from the figurative dead. Moses, whom his mother puts in a basket and sends off maybe forever, is given back to his mother from the figurative dead. Through Elijah, the widow receives her son, her only son, back from the dead. Through Elisha, the Shunammite woman receives her son, her only son, back from the dead. And then the Lord Jesus comes. And he gives the little girl back to her parents from the dead. And he gives this young man, who we just read about, the only son of a widow, back to his mother from the dead. And the prodigal son gets up and he goes back to his dad. And when the Old Testament turns to the New Testament, the very last words of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi, the very last words of the Old Testament tell us that when the day of the Lord comes, before that day comes, he will send a messenger who will turn the hearts of children back to their fathers and the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That God will be a reuniter of children and parents. Through the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, presents himself as completely distinct and other from the false gods of the nations who take the children of their worshipers. And he presents himself as the God who gives children back. Why is that such a prominent theme in the Bible? Because it's the overarching theme of the whole Bible. It's the meta-narrative of human history. That God's first children, Adam and Eve, were expelled from his presence in the garden. The very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And then in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, the children of God are back with him in his presence, never to be separated from him again. It's the overarching theme of the whole Bible and it's the meta-narrative of all of human history that the children who were once separated from their father are back with their father in the end, never to leave him again. All because of the work of Jesus. Fundamentally, Jesus is a reuniter of children and parents. He restores what has been lost. He reverses the tragedy of death by his own death. He is the giver of life and he brings us to the Father. 
in his work here in Nain at this one time for this one woman reveals his fundamental identity and the nature of God, whom he represents perfectly, an all-loving, all-powerful God who reunites parents and children. It's not a minor theme in the Bible. It's the major theme. It's the major theme because the Bible is about God. And God is three persons, one of whom is a father, and one of whom is a son. A son who left home, not for decadence, but for obedience. A son who left home and then returned to his father. The father and the son have been physically reunited. The son is at the right hand of the father. The son came from his father and he has returned to his father and is with him again and has been for a long, long time. And I don't begrudge them that at all. Take all the time you want Blessed Father and blessed Son who are reunited together. What's going on in the world today? I'll tell you what is going on and what God is up to. The Son who died is back with his Father alive. And that's the most beautiful thing we can think of. It's exactly what we would wish for if we got to choose and make God anything we wanted. The son who died is back with his father. That's who God is. And that's what God is doing. How does any of this help us when we're grieving? Death is not final. Jesus is more powerful than death. And when he returns to establish his kingdom of peace and righteousness and life, when his kingdom comes in all of its fullness, he will say to your son, Young man, I say to you, arise, and he will. And he will say to your daughter, little girl, I say to you, arise. And she will. And he will give children back to their parents. And if Jesus was willing to do this for one woman, when his kingdom was on earth in its infancy, how much more will he be willing to do this for all of his children when his kingdom comes in its fullness? And life will reign on the planet. Today, the good news about the kingdom of God is that there is a kingdom of God. That this world is not all that there is. That there's a truer 
world of life to come. A world in which parents never lose their children and children never lose their parents. Above all, Jesus means hope for the grieving. Place your hope in Jesus and in the resurrection to come, of which his own resurrection is the guarantee. Amen. Father, if you had not sent your son, death would be final. Because you sent your son, death is not final. While we place our hope in him, let us walk with love among the grieving and live with hope in the kingdom to come. 